2: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the latest edition of The Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, joined as... A.K.A. Wazzy Lambray. I almost forgot. Joined, as always, by my brother on the west side of Los Angeles, Nando Vila. What's going on? And we... been good. And we do have a very special show today because we have a very special guest. My brother, professor at U-Dub... Um, the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, more importantly, an Ivy League elite. He comes from <laughs> the ruling class,
3: ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> my brother, Daniel Bestner. What's up, DB? Hey, well, was Happy to be here representing my class and its interests. Thank you for
2: having me. <laughs> I love it. Um, on today's show, man, uh, we do want to get into some of the U S sanctions in Afghanistan, which it's hard to understand what the reasoning is. I think the, the shit we've gotten out of the white house has been super opaque and just very, just like, you know, talking points, bullshit. There hasn't really been an explanation for it besides well, we just feel like it. Cause we can, um, we want to get into that towards the end of the show, but first man, uh, DB, you're definitely my smartest foreign policy, us for smart foreign policy friend. Um, you it's your area of expertise about American Empire. And in the news recently, there's just been a lot of reporting about the atrocities of the drone war. Just like how insanely horrific the consequences of the drone war actually were. How all of this shit got covered up. And just like basically the the outcome, the um what what I've taken from it, DB, is it's like. There's never been a coherent rationale for any of this. There's never been any oversight. And the people we allow to adjudicate the drone war are kind of psychopaths. And so, you know, New York Times just put out a story. Again, um, <laughs> we, we got all this credit for getting out of Afghanistan, for getting out of Kabul. But of course, we couldn't leave without leaving them a nice little souvenir like that herpes you got in Cancun. Um, they dropped the freaking drone and it killed like 10 kids. For no reason. And again, they call these shits targeted attacks. And they're just killing civilian um, you know, uh targets all the freaking time. Of course, Dave Phillips on the New York Times has done some incredible reporting about a drone strike way, way back in the in the I think it was like 09, 08 around the time. I just know Obama was president, where these dudes bombed up a hiding shelter, a drone strike, the hiding shelter, and killed. On the conservative estimate, 70 people and what most experts think was about 100 innocent people, no terrorists, no bad guys, women, children hiding from drone strikes, killed a 100 of them. And they're just now doing an investigation and maybe somebody might be held to account for this, DB. And, I, you know, I, all of that is preamble to say, like, what the fuck is up with the drone war, bro?
3: Yeah, it's a it's a really important question. And I think it's uh, to really understand it, you have to put it in this, this kind of large historical context. So I'm going to go back in the past, but just for a second. So we are all well aware of the Vietnam War and that there were a lot of mass protests against the Vietnam War. And these protests were actually effective, first in in kind of winding down the use of troops in the late 1960s and early 1970s and pushing the Vietnam War to be fought um, with bombing. But also more important, the protests demonstrated to American elites um, that they couldn't necessarily rely on the American public to fight the war without complaint. Even though it was a a lot of working class people, there were also middle class class people and bourgeoisie involved in the war. So in 1973, the Congress, uh, the American Congress decided essentially not to renew the draft. So you have a period from 1940 to 1973, where there's like a, a mass draft. The average American has like a real chance of fighting a war. And that mm. isn't true after 1973. So you begin to get a turn um, from 1973 onward toward what might be termed um, precision war or or, or more accurate war. Um, So this is reflected in a variety of ways, but from our perspective today, um, you see it with uh, the use of drones, and I'll get to those in a second, and also the use of special forces. The idea was that you couldn't fight mass-based wars, you couldn't rely on the populace, so you needed to run the American empire in a more precise way with less cost to American people. Um, Also, they would claim that there was also going to be less costs to the enemies of the United States. So it's a form of humane war. It's like humanity, right? Um, so drones start being used a little bit um, throughout this period. Uh, they're used a little bit by George W. Bush during the war on terror. But they really take off during the uh, take off what a pun, during the administration <laughs> of Barack Obama. Right. So when Barack Obama comes into office, he says, I'm not going to be like Bush. He goes, listen, Bush is right. Right. You got to There's all these terrorists. You can't just let them go around. But what I'm going to do, I'm not going to fight mass wars like Iraq or Afghanistan, um, really Iraq. I'm not going to fight mass wars like Iraq. I'm going to fight precise wars, and they're going to be legal. And they're going to be humane. And the drone becomes Obama's preferred instrument. Why? Um, because there is, uh, uh, it doesn't involve the American people first and foremost. It's cheap as well. You could kind of deploy them overseas. And also what Obama did is that he institutionalized a process. He just made a process whereby he would like literally go over kill lists. And someone it's would say, the craziest this shit. intelligence. Like every week he would go over there'd be a kill list it's and insane and he, he yeah yeah and this is just you could you could look at his he talks about it in his memoir which i actually talked about on the show but he he goes over these kill lists and then he's like um my lawyers say this is legal and we're going to go drone these people now the problem as all this reporting has suggested is that any sort of military action is going to rely on intelligence how do you know uh, you know unless you 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 might you might hear something you might intercept something but oftentimes you're relying on human intelligence on the ground so who do you know how do you know who to drone it's ultimately you know you can't abstract it you can't just decide the algorithm you need some human component and what has often happened is that people lied people used you know mm-hmm. tried to uh, use the United States against to kill their the enemies, <laughs> enemies. yeah <laughs> the u s just got it wrong let 's not We can't just blame people on the ground. The U.S. got shit wrong. They had bad intelligence. They misunderstood things. And so you wind up having, you know, the famous famous droning of a wedding or these sorts of human rights violations of the murder of of tens uh, of innocents, dozens of innocents, hundreds of innocents which seem to have been unreported, underreported at the very least um, by the U.S. government. Uh, So you have this perverse situation where the United States is essentially fighting war on the cheap, making use of oftentimes bad human intelligence and just killing innocents on the ground and you're able to do it because there's no consequences for the average american
4: yeah and it's uh, we lost you maybe oh yeah and it's well it's it's funny because you mentioned it on the cheap but it seems like to me like the military budget keeps on going up anyway i mean it is like the specific actions of drone ca- of drone strikes are cheap uh but the overall military budget keeps on going up i mean obviously You know, we know it's just it's just kind of a giant giveaway to defense contractors and things like that, and that they don't (laughs) actually use it for anything, even like accepting the premise that we need to fight uh, people abroad all the time to, 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 you know, quell, uh, you know, destroy our enemies. I don't believe that. But imagine if I did. Um, it would even still be kind of an insanely bloated uh, military budget um, because like they, they 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 don't they don't use most of it for for that purpose uh, anyway but uh the uh, you know the the thing about the drone policy that I think is particularly horrifying is that um, as you said it because there is no cost to American lives um, outside of like maybe some PTSD for these drone pilots which happens all the time um, The um, it just becomes this thing that exists in the background. It just becomes. You okay? God bless you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, thank you. Yeah, it's okay. Um, It just becomes. It just becomes this kind of background noise uh, of killing. I remember, like, when I was at Fusion, like, I I did this video that went viral um, back in the days when things like that happened, um, where I just went around asking people how many countries, like, are we bombing right now? You know, which is just like a super simple question, and I'm pretty sure that if you asked like members of congress that i'm not sure that like even is there a way to even know. know that though well there isn't but i'm talking about like a, a very publicly available yeah i'm talking about like publicly available information you know even the, the stuff that we do in theory know that's like yemen
2: kind of
3: yeah, Even though we say, well,
2: know, that's actually the Saudis are doing it. It's not, I mean, right. it's not us. It's the Saudis. Yeah. We're yeah. just with, giving With it our
3: up. intelligence. Yeah. But, right. we, are, but we were, yeah. we were
4: bombing. We were doing direct drone strikes in Yemen as well. Like of it, course. It's a lot of like Saudi aiding, but we were literally bombing in Yemen as well. I mean, maybe not to the scale of other places, but it, it, it existed. And it wasn't again, I'm just yet. talking about like stuff that's publicly available information. Again, assuming that there's also strikes that happen uh, that are classified that we don't know about and things like that. Um Even that question, uh, two members of Congress. Like I don't know how many
3: of them. I don't think Biden knows. I would. I doubt that. My life. Biden doesn't know. Yeah, exactly. There was a gun to my head. No way. I bet he'd be off by like ten too. Yeah.
4: But it's one of those things that you stop and think about, and you're like, "That's crazy." Yeah. You know. Like, I don't know because if Spain was bombing someone, they would know. Everybody right. It would know. It'd be like, and they'd be dominating
2: the news. They're doing it in our names for, to yeah. our benefit, allegedly. Yeah. So we should know. And the, the thing that I wanted to get into it with, with you, um, DB, is because you talk about the the bad intelligence that the US receives. And I want people to think about this. Let's just say, hypothetically, we started some type of war with Mexico and we relied upon Mexican intelligence, right? Like, at least theoretically, we could be like, yo, there's Mexican people here who we are, you know, who are probably good Mexican-Americans could figure out a way to get information out in Mexico. It'd be really hard. Uh, I think we've seen <laughs> throughout the course of the drug war that they can't get fucking good information in Mexico. But let's just, just humor me. Humor me, excuse me. You'd be like, all right, well, we could probably get some good info in Mexico, just because of the proximity, um, the uh, like a, and a, a better understanding of Mexican culture, Mexican history, Mexican norms, all of that shit, like we could probably kind of figure some shit out because Mexico's right there. Same with Canada, right? We could get Celine Dion to be in the CIA. We could do all kinds of shit and be like, yo, how do we get, if we went to war with Canada, theoretically, we could probably get some good intel. How the fuck we getting good intel in Afghanistan? How the fuck are we supposed to do that when we just parachuted into that motherfucker? Nobody knows us. We don't know them. We don't know anything about the history. We didn't know anything about the tribal differences. We don't know nothing about these people. And then we come in and we're just spreading money, spreading violence, all of this shit. And we're supposed to get good intelligence?
3: it's absolutely uh, absurd and the united states if you look at the history of afghanistan it just went back and forth in, in its strategies whether it was counterterrorism or then counterinsurgency or then you know these various um uh people that they were funding it it, it was primarily you know uh, i think as, as a lot of reporting has seen just a way to make money for contractors mm-hmm. and i don't think like the people were are not consciously thinking it i think this is important to understand it's not like people are like waking up and like putting their hands together like Mr. Burns and trying to be some sort of conspiratorial thing. It's just the nature of the system. Um, If you're a defense contractor under capitalism, you make money off of war. Um, You make money off of, large military budgets. So if you're Raytheon or you're Boeing, you're spending a lot of money lobbying Congress to constantly increase a military budget. Military budgets near $800 billion. Uh, you know, how that's r- roughly, I think, a third of the discretionary budget of the United States. And could you imagine all the shit that that thing could actually be used for? But we have a system in place that incentivizes and encourages certain types of behavior. And so the question then becomes, I think, for all of us who want to use that money for good and don't want to kill innocent people abroad is how do you change that system? It's a really difficult question, which is no uh, easy solution. But I hope people are just realizing how absolutely corrupt it is.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I think that one of the things that's been... Horrifying about Afghanistan uh specifically is, you know, we've we've obviously we fought a war there that lasted twenty years. Um killed yeah, it's really impossible to know how many people we killed, but probably, you know, in the hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's
3: difficult to separate like directly killed from effects of war and migration right. and things like yep. so right, right, These right. are mm-hmm. the numbers that are tough to get. Yeah.
4: Right. Um, but we can assume it's in the it's in the it's in hundred thousand plus. Easy. Um And, uh, you know, we got out uh, for the most part, you know, there's still some there's still some private military contractors there. Um, And then we just imposed this these economic sanctions on them, um, which I'm I'm reading from uh, Jeff Stein, uh, you know, Jeff Stein's reporting on it. that something like, you know, 23 million of Afghanistan's 33 million people have been are are like under uh, threat of severe famine. You know, and it's directly a res- like this is a country that was at war up until like two seconds ago. Um, and now as a result of these sanctions is literally starving to death. And outside of like, you know, the obvious cruelty of it, I struggle to understand the rationale.
3: The rationale behind why we continue to fight wars, you mean? No, no, no! But why we why we insist what, upon this kind of what's the uh, sanction? Why we the thinking there? Why we like, we why we need to, to starve sin. the country? I, I think there's a well. I think the the official rationale is like it's the Taliban, uh, and yeah. we don't like the Taliban because we've been fighting them for twenty years. But I think if one was you know do Freudian analysis, it's just like we lost and and we're getting revenge uh, on a people that we've. Uh, done done terrible things to for 20 years. And I think that there's sort of this worry about prestige and American reliance. And I I think it's mostly bullshit. Uh, This is kind of the the talk you hear in the foreign policy establishment is that they're worried about America's international prestige and whether they can be trusted by allies, particularly in the region, because this is like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's related to like China and people like people aren't going to think we're going to like fight China if we just give up on Afghanistan. Um, I think it's mostly horseshit. And I think it's just mostly people are are, um, unable to, question a lot of their fundamental assumptions about the justice propagated by the United States and the good propagated uh, by the United States. And then you see things like crippling sanctions that really, really harm entire populations over and over again. There's a wanton cruelty to the American empire that people just don't face up to, particularly if your job is to, you know, (laughs) uh, defend it and provide the ideas for it. And so this is where you get into this brutal situation and there's no consequences because as we said, Americans don't vote on it and they're not really affected by it. So the United States could be the 800 pound gorilla trampling around the world over and over and over again from Vietnam to Afghanistan and nothing's going to change because we're so overwhelmingly powerful.
2: Yeah. It just, it it, it just, it just seems like I I don't know. And the thing is these things aren't secret. That's the thing that makes it feel so fucking helpless right it's not like you know the my lie massacre or any of that stuff that's like there's a cover-up and it's kept on you know from the, the the light of the public or like nobody has any way of knowing what's going on like these shits are these things are deeply reported. Like with the freaking drone strike, it's on the New York Times website. This fucking video of it, of just the horrors of all of this stuff. And it's and because it t- to me, <laughs> I'm like, yo, if the Taliban figured out a way to strike somewhere, and I don't even want to say here in the U.S., I want to say Iowa or Nebraska. You know what I mean? <laughs> somewhere, somewhere where the somewhere in the heartland, where you know it's nothing but we're real red, Americans, live, exactly, not like, us, not like us three, not like us, no, it's no, coastal elite. coastal elite scumbag yeah. fake Americans. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm talking about real Americans in the Dust Bowl or some shit, and people who
4: watch Yellowstone and not Succession,
2: exactly, <laughs> and a hundred people died as a result of that strike we would call that's terrorism (laughs) that's straight up an act of terrorism there's no there's no other way to shape it if taliban came out and said nah but we meant to hit that one military base over there and you know but then it got crossed and then it got messed up we meant to hit the military we meant to hit the you know the fucking weapons storage facility we meant but we didn't meant, meant to kill no heartland babies what the hell, sorry about that That was just a mistake, casualty of war Hell no, that shit would be a fucking act of terrorism We'd be at the UN talking about Yo, fucking everybody get with us We're about to, not only are we gonna fucking go to war with them We're about to crush this country All of the, It would be the end of the world These motherfuckers, they're doing this shit for, for all we know, at least four or five times a year Probably more, over the course of like 15 years yeah it's insane they drone
4: strike in afghanistan they drone strike the doctors without borders hospital do you guys remember that story
3: yeah of course yeah no doctor like
4: i feel like that story i remember when when i read it when i first read it i like i couldn't believe it um i I was like this this has to be the this has to be the thing that like gets people you know a doctors without borders hospital we'd fucking obliterate it um in a drone strike and it was just like a oops sorry didn't mean to let's move on no
3: one gave a shit uh, I yeah was- and i think yeah. that's like something that we need to deal with you know like that that people really don't give a shit um they don't because that's they're fair. hurting at home it's hard to have empathy for people who you feel no connection to but for uh for whatever the reason um people really just seem to not really care and that's we an got to reinstitute to the draft yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel, yeah. I feel
2: like that's the only thing that would get, get, get people people's skin from. in the
3: game. No yeah, I- for
2: sure. And and I want to ask you, D B, because I feel like if I if I can translate uh, Pope Barack Obama, um, if I'm allowed to, when he comes up with the explanation of, for why he does drone warfare, basically, it feels like what he's saying is war basically is when it comes to America abroad, like it is. We're going to be bombing something somewhere pretty much no matter what. And this is the most efficient way for us to carry out that objective. But why do we have to accept the first premise? It's not like he goes about a detailed explanation as to why we're constantly in a perpetual state of war with some people abroad, right? Who always happen to be non-white, by the way. Um, like... What what can we like?
3: Can we like brainstorm as to why that is? Well, I think like Obama at least is an institutionalist, and he, he basically, like you're you're saying, was exactly never questioned the premises of American empire or the American hegemony mm. or the fact that the United States needs to rule the world because people um have been arguing, and he is one of the people who believe this, that peace and prosperity. Uh, you know, U.S. peace and prosperity, but also global peace and prosperity. You know, national glory, national economics, all depend on the United States being the global leader. You know, and leader really, empire and, and hegemon. And so, what Obama's sort of like compromise? You know, his, his humane compromise. He said that we'll still do this shit. But it will be legal and there will be a definite process behind it, right? You won't have like random ad hoc statements like you had under George W. Bush with John Yu sort of writing the infamous
2: torture memos and and things like that. And they they was doing that shit on the fly, like literally, all right, I just wrote this
3: thing up. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So Obama's like, we're going to regularize it. Because yeah. he's, that's this is a liberal solution, right? You're going to institutionalize it, you're going to bureaucratize it, and therefore, yeah. theoretically, is you're going to domesticate it. But the problem is, is that war can't be domesticated. Yeah. Um, as As my old friend Rip Van Riper said, you know, war is ultimately like a qualitative thing. It relies on passions. It's, it's unmodelable. So it's a fantasy to believe that you're going to be able to tame it through that sort of regular interaction. But this is ultimately the premise of liberalism itself. And one of the reasons why liberalism is failing, um, because <laughs> yeah. its promises uh, aren't historically true, right? You can't actually yeah. regularize human life like that. So you have all of these disasters like we're just talking about, and there's no way out. And this is why you need a different form of politics. Liberalism has proven yeah. just incorrect.
4: Yeah. People talk about like, you know, Napoleon was a military genius because he won all those battles. And it's true. He probably was like better than most uh, generals uh, as a military strategist or whatever. But like the fact that the French army at the time was run by uh, like was manned by soldiers who were saw themselves as Frenchmen, citizens, you know, like the first kind of citizen army. And they had a stake. They had a stake in the in the country's success. And. And all that stuff. Whereas all the the people they were fighting, they were like prisoners and mercenaries mm-hmm. and pe- slaves, essentially people who didn't give a shit mm-hmm. whether they really won or lost, uh, and they just like kicked their ass every time. Uh, and you know, like that's you know, like the there's more focus on you know the the nuts and bolts uh, of like oh he did this flanking maneuver and the whatever the fuck. But like yeah. you know, they wanted it more too, and that probably had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that it's not about the. Uh, the, you know, uh, the, the, like we said, the liberal institu- institutionalization, like the structures that they do, it's like there is a little there is an element of like, oh, yeah, we're people fighting for our homeland and you guys are just, you know, forced to do this at, at gunpoint. So like we're going to have an advantage. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it is it is um, it is a bleak uh, reality because I think that one of the the, the sort of coming uh, struggles or whatever, the coming questions is this confrontation with China, right? That it seems like um, for a while there, the United States and China were kind of simpatico in that China was, uh, you know, a giant market for, for American firms, but also a source of cheap labor. And th- both of those things are kind of going away a little bit. Like you're seeing, I just saw that Hollywood, like China is now blocking most, even Disney movies, uh, in Marvel movies, even Shang Chi was didn't get as wide a release as they wanted to because they wanted uh, in domestic China. industry.
3: Is that they, they, wanted they, they exactly right that they, yeah. for, for the
4: years that in they allowed substitution? China, yeah, totally. It, yeah, it's exactly it's what, it what it is. is. Yeah. Like for the years that they allowed American movies to come in, it was really just to train up to buy them time to train up their own domestic uh, ability to produce movies that Chinese people would rather watch. Um, and that seems like it's happening. Like they they produced a few blockbusters in China that have been huge um you know and uh and now what they're doing is they're just basically blocking american movies from from coming so that's you know, really interesting
3: that, nando i did not know that that's
4: super oh, i'll send you some i'll send you yeah, some literature send that. that's a gigantic yeah.
3: shift <laughs> yeah.
4: enormous like yeah. marvel disney and disney is the being the leader has been the leader uh in sort of trying to open up the chinese market for films famously um the ceo of disney went and apologized to the Premier of china in 1997 because they Produced Kundun, Mike, uh, right. Martin Scorsese's Kundun, which is about right. uh, Tibet, and Beauty and, um, and the Beast. Said, Remember
3: that there was a kiss in there, a male kiss yeah. that they that they took out. Yeah,
4: exactly. And you know, famously, the CEO of Disney goes like, "I'm very sorry uh, for producing this film." The good thing is nobody watched it. You know, like he made a joke <laughs> about like how it was a huge flop. Um, but um, but but they really pushed to open up the Chinese market. There's theme parks in in China, uh, you know, Disney theme parks in China, all that stuff. Um, but they the past couple years they've started to limit the um the amount of american films that are screened in china and they're limiting their release um and disney produced shang chi this like chinese movie um with chinese actors and 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 chinese mythology in an attempt to basically show good faith um that they that you know that they that they were going to play ball essentially and the chinese are still like nope um, we're going to produce our own movies, and we're not going to allow your movies to come in. So, I, I, as, as that process happens, yeah, you know, like,
3: that's going to be gigantic. Oh my god, it's LA, enormous. Like, I mean, just wait till they just wait till they ban LA, the NBA. Maybe. You know, yeah. like I think the, the NBA is
2: already done too, though. I think it's a wrap for the NBA. I think that whole excursion is kind of just like, all right, it's th- this thing is kind of run its course. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Nando, um, in relation to China and America. Like my thinking has always been, like. How, if 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 the if the ruling class, our oligarchs are who set our fucking government policy, and those people's financials are so inextricably tied, bound up in China. How the fuck are we gonna go to war with China? We'd be going to war with ourselves, right? That's and like it's
3: interesting. I think why Waz hit the nail on the head. It's different from the Soviet Union because the United States and Soviet Union didn't really have they don't do business together. Yeah. Yeah. And so both China, so this is the big question. Because
2: so like China, Apple's gonna let us go to war with China,
3: right. like well, so this Walmart's is big gonna question. let us
2: go to war with China.
3: So so these are a couple things. So historically, the relationship has been China provides cheap labor for US materials. But if China, the CCP in particular, the Communist Party, wants to maintain domestic legitimacy, it has to improve domestic consumption. Because the promise is you'll be able to live like a middle class American. This is the promise of development in India and China, but in China in particular. And so the problem, though, is that if China, if people start living like Americans, we're going to cook the fucking planet even quicker than we have been. So there's a fundamental tension there because every... If every you know ch- person in the Chinese middle class consumes like uh, every person in the American middle class, that would be disastrous. One, we're not even sure there's enough material on Earth. Two, it'll definitely have negative climate impact. So this is a tension that the party is going to have to you know paper over somehow usually states do that through some sort of nationalist war but china doesn't want it war is also bad for business now it's not like in the 1500s when you conquer a person you steal their aristocrats and you get a ton of money or it's a franco-prussian war and you like empty the french treasury you know this is like this wars and business which is what the chinese state also relies on so we're really entering uncharted territory in terms of these sorts of gigantic geopolitical questions uh that we need to take seriously
2: yeah. Wow. Great news is always on the Folk Bros, man. I gotta say, we're always bringing in the, the sunny, shiny news, man, though.
4: Well, the world is bleak, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's really bleak. It is, a, it is a weird, it is, you know, it is a weird time, um, yeah. especially, in a, you know, especially if you're an American, like, you're in this kind of weird state of, um... Decay
2: and decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: a, a, economic decline, um... And um, and anti-politics and like, uh, you know, that 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 politics, the political avenues are kind of shut.
3: Um, did did you it, read my article on that? The end of mass politics? With I yes, read I read that as
4: well. It. And I even sent it to Waz. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, so, and, and so it was it was really sorry. well put. I mean, it's something that we've I've been thinking about for for a while now. Obviously, I don't have the academic training to uh, to you know crystallize it in a in a beautiful little article, uh, but um, it's something that you think about a lot because like you cover all this po- you you cover the politics, you know, you look at the ins and outs, and then nothing really happens ever, you know, and people get like, really mad and, 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 they and get mad at each mean, other. Like and- nothing
2: and- happens to the, like not even like oh like we this thing that has popular will like that's like fifty three percent of Americans want it. Like yeah. we're talking about shit that 75, yeah, 80 percent of Americans want a thing. Great and it child doesn't happen. everyone wants that.
3: You know, and it yeah. doesn't
2: happen straight up. There's yeah. no political way to get it done. It straight doesn't happen. I that's think insane. that's
3: insane. Sorry, was I think that's why people are going insane. Because like all they do, they spend all their fucking time thinking about politics, tweeting about politics. and, And then Joe Biden today comes out and like falls asleep and slips on a banana peel, you know, and then nothing changes. And so there's this disconnect between this constant churn of political discussion and political coverage and political investment. And then literally nothing changes. And in fact, if you're an American of the middle class, your life just keeps getting slightly shittier every year. So think about for us. There's been seven percent inflation, right? And so maybe we all probably didn't get seven percent raises necessarily, right? So each of our dollars that was worth one dollar last year is now worth seven percent less. And it's these types of things that things get more expensive and our lives get increasingly shitty. And so that's why people are going insane. You know, I think that's a really big reason for it. Yeah.
2: Well, again, that that's our show for today. We would like to thank the historian. Daniel Bessner uh please tell the people where they can find you American Prestige, again, that's a weekly listen for me. That's how I keep up with foreign policy uh, news. Please, please tell the people where they can find you, DB.
3: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at D. bestner and uh, like Waz said, American Prestige, and this week we've got the uh, second interview with Noam Chomsky, you know, the meeting Ooh. of the two great minds of the 20th century and 21st. Me and Chomsky are going head-to-head, <laughs> and so check check that out. <laughs> All right, that's our show for
2: this week. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. We're out of here. Later.